Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Dave Neal, stand-up comic host of Bachelor Nation News. It's Tuesday afternoon. Welcome to Bachelor Rush Hour. Oh, that's right. Let's get into it. I just felt like a weird day today. You know what I mean? It's a weird day. Play some weird music. Let's do it. Weird stories, too. Going to get into it. We are only six days away from the next season of The Bachelor, season uh, whatever year it is, 27, 28, 29, 2023, Zach Shell Cross's season. And the question everyone's asking is, will the show write its course? Will the show be able to overcome the adversity it created by villainizing its leads and uh, having uh, you know what some, some might con- uh, consider sort of like a... Uh, a burn the candle at both ends of the wick storyline, right? Where it's like so much destruction uh, did they push off enough people to not want to watch the show. Well, uh, we have Game of Roses uh, host Chad of Chad and Lizzie has written a state of the union for Bachelor Nation and properly examines how the show has gone wrong. I'm going to read that entire dissertation, all 4,000 words of it, and uh, it's going to be a nice, pleasant way to end the podcast. But first, before we get to that, we've got one other video uh, that we're going to clip together for you guys, which is Rachel Lindsay's response to Chris Harrison's latest podcast. Now we know Rachel Lindsay had already responded to the uh, knowledge that Chris Harrison was releasing a podcast, but this was her conversation with co-host Van Lathan of Higher Learning Podcast after they listened to the episode. And it's very interesting to say the least. But before we get into that, how about some non-bachelor entertainment news? You want to do that? We've got a story here. Todd and Julie Chrisley. Am I even pronouncing that right? I don't know who they are. Fire. They they reported to prison for bank fraud and tax evasion after sentencing. Now I guess she's a TV personality from Chrisley Knows Best. Is that even what it's called? They turned themselves in to the minimum security facility in Pensacola, and um, actually different facilities. He had to go to. Uh, oh, that that's kind of a bummer. They had to separate themselves. Although who knows? Maybe maybe uh, the husband and wife team needed a little time apart here. She went to prison in Lexington, Kentucky, and he went to Pensacola, Florida. Minimum security. What does that mean? Does, they, does that mean they get to watch more of my content? Hey, uh, subscribe to Bachelor Rush Hour if you don't mind there. So they're stars of Chrisley or Chrisley Knows Best. I don't even know what it's called. She was set to serve time in Mariana at the in Jackson County, Florida, but was redesignated to the Kentucky facility in December 2022. Well, like anyone else, I want to know what they sort of are, were guilty from. It all started back in 2012 when we discovered that a trusted employee of ours had been stealing from us big time, Todd wrote via Instagram at the time. I won't go into details, but it involved all kinds of really bad stuff like creating phony documents, forging our signatures, and threatening other employees with violence if they said anything. We even discovered that he illegally bugged our home. Wow. This is interesting. All along the goal was to hide the money. Um, so anyway, in the opening statements, uh, U.S. attorney Annalise Peters claimed that the couple exaggerated their earnings to borrow more than $30 million. While the Chris Chrisley's lawyer refuted the statements and backed Todd's claim about Braddock, Peters went on to allege that Todd and Julie's fraudulent activity continued after his termination. All along, the goal was to hide the money. We have to live every day as if it's our last. Julie opened up on the Chrisley Confessions podcast, December 2022. The difficulties I'm 
going through, how I handled it. My kids are watching that as well. If I handle it right, they're watching. If I screw up, they're watching. And so for me as a parent, I want to try to make sure that I do it right more than I do it wrong. Well, look, in today's world, you go to jail. She can probably write a book about her experience as a white collar criminal, as it were, right? But um, this is, you know, with tax season approaching, does anyone else get scared that they're just going to get arrested for tax evasion? It's like, no, I use my car for business. But what, like, what crosses the line? Now, obviously, if there's, if, if they're talking about $30 million, you know, uh, fluffing up their accounts to be able to maybe take out loans, whatever it is that they're truly accused of doing sounds way more sinister. I don't think you just go to prison for honest mistakes on your tax returns. I don't think that happens. But hey, what do I know? I'm not a lawyer. But speaking of lawyers or former lawyers, Rachel Lindsay, co-host of the Higher Learnings Podcast and also former bachelorette Rachel Lindsay, uh, comment about uh, Chris Harrison and why she believes he unfollowed her on Instagram. Have a listen to this clip. Chris Harrison. Go ahead. <laughs> you wanted it. Most dramatic podcast you ever. You wanted it. I listened to it. Did you listen to it? I did listen to it. You listened to both oh. parts? I just listened to the first one. What did I miss in the second one? He said he was scared um, after his bachelor exit. He said he received death threats. He lost 20 pounds and couldn't eat or sleep. Yeah. Um, You listened to both. What did you think? So a lot of people, (laughs) as you would imagine, have hit me up. Um, Either ask me what I think, asking me if I've listened. Or sadly, and a lot of it, it has brought up all the attacks that I got from before. And you have to remember, Rachel Lindsay had to deactivate her Instagram account. She was getting attacked so hard. There'll be a segment of my audience and every audience that exists out there that never changes their mind. To me, if you are in, unable to change your mind, it's a sign of, it's a, it's a it's an emotional weakness, really. Uh, but some people might say, oh, she's the worst. She got Chris Harrison fired. She was doing her job and she received incredible amounts of death threats and racist messages and things like that on her end. And she didn't have that same position of power where she was the front man of a giant TV show, right? She was just doing her job, her newly acquired job as a you know host of an entertainment news show, right? So keep that in mind. There's always going to be comments, oh, she's this, she's that. I don't value, um, I don't value low energy uh, thoughts with regards to this, uh, these types of conversations, which can be very difficult. You can have a different opinion of mine, but at least hear someone for their merit and their point that they're making. Uh when this happened almost two years ago, which is crazy. This happened almost two years ago. Time for um, A lot of the social media attacks and the DMs have started again because, you know, it's bringing up something that happened almost two years ago. So I'm not going to speak too much to it, but a right. lot of people are like, it's not fit. Some people support, you know, are like, it's, I don't think, I don't like the way that he addressed it. You know, isn't your name wasn't mentioned, which when we talked about it, when we, this podcast was announced, I said, he's going to talk about how he feels. He's not going to mention my name. Why would he? This is his opportunity to tell his side of it because he hasn't before, which he is totally in, has the, uh, the right to do. He starts off episode one talking about who this podcast is for. It's for the people who've supported him. It's for his fans. It's for those who have reached out, those who have wondered where he is, who have checked on him. That's all I needed to know. 
And also, just that, you know, this is also why I don't like the firing aspect of it because now he just gets to play to his own audience, you know, his own echo chamber. And I, you know, so it's like, look, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bad people, but it's like he's if he's not going to play to an audience where he can accept controversy, controversial thoughts or opinions or cross examination, then there's no growth. So the whole thing, like I've said nonstop, is that the show hasn't been able to grow from this because there was just a martyr made, and the people that are anti-cancel culture say, oh, he was done dirty. And and again, not to say he should have been fired. My thought is that there was a greater conversation at the time, two years ago, that could have been had that was missed. So for all the people who are like, I can't believe this wasn't addressed. I can't believe this, this wasn't said. He told y'all who this podcast is for. It's not for y'all. It's for his supporters. That's who he was talking to. He wasn't there to a to address the past, he was there to talk to them in a place with the, where the people who love him. That was it. That was it. And that's what I expected. It set the tone for the whole thing. So I don't know why people thought that they were going to get something, either some tea or even some, you know, like something towards me or what happened. No, he would, that podcast is for his fans. Hmm. That's it. You know what's crazy is I had a whole take, but when you look at it that way, that's sort of intellectual or emotional truth. And then that's kind of what it is. You know? Like people expected me to get mad about it. Oh, I can't believe he, if y'all think I'm sitting around waiting for, for something for Chris Harrison, y'all really don't know me. So I wasn't expecting that. I, again, he said that I listened to the whole thing, you know, I, I hadn't heard him speak on it too. I was curious as to what he was going to say, but I knew who it was for. It wasn't for me. It wasn't. He's building something. I think he announced that he's got some projects coming. So this was about building what's next for him and talking to those people who will support him along that journey. That's it. Do you think it. that it was cowardly in any way? Because he didn't address it? Because there seemed to be... Great question. There seemed to be a lack of hmm we'll get to it. this save well, him Rachel if it while you're thinking of that I mean yeah. he flat out said I stand by what I said he just said it was sloppy yeah I mean I feel I, I, you know, I think that I know that he stands by what he said I, his, his and here we have Van taking a point that I pretty much agree with which was what he said wasn't something that was trying to cause greater harm even though it did look i'm on record by saying i don't think that he should have been fired for what happened to right him. yeah no i don't think that he should have been fired uh i thought that what he was basically saying was look the girl fucked up why are we coming down on her blah 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 and he came out in the wrong way because uh there's just entitlement oozing out of his pores and that's just the way that things go and that, and that and if Chris was talking to them right now, and again, this is my guess, we'd have to see. If he's talking to them right now and Van says what came out was entitlement oozing from your pores, I think Chris would agree with that. I think Chris knows it came out wrong. I don't think there's any defending that it came out wrong. We saw Lauren Zima say, you, we, we saw you at your worst. You were having a bad day. You were fed up and it just transpired on camera. So we already saw all that. I think when pressed into that conversation, Chris goes, you're absolutely right. It was horrible. Like it was so wrong. You know, although I, I don't see friction there. I think we all agree on that. 
to me, this is a perfect idea. You kick somebody in their ass. People fuck up all the time. You kick them in their ass. You let them understand the stakes, and then you see if they can readjust to whatever it is that they're, uh, uh, people are demanding. Readjust. You, you move on, right? Mm -hmm. um, There's mm -hmm. never been a time like the conversation when Rachel and uh, Chris Harrison were talking. These, the, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it boiled up to the brink of a national culture issue, which needed to be discussed, which was police brutality happening out there. That's the, those, that's the riot, the, the, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and the protesting and all these things that, that happened uh, is a result to just too many instances of, of just atrocities happening out there. Now, Chris Harrison's obviously defending something different, uh, which was the grace for Rachel Kirkconnell, who attended a, an antebellum party and, and uh, photos emerged. It's different in that sense that it's not the same exact issue, but it's this culture that existed that in that moment, I don't think that had ever been sort of discussed with such a heightened, heightened sort of um, so stakes. But in this particular case, At least on the it bachelor. seemed as if I maybe got a little bit more insight into why maybe they did fire him. Really? Because, well, he didn't seem to, he, there was a sniveling sort of shit-eating sort of tone to it. Um, I realized that the guy's been through a lot, but he seemed in a way to have almost zero humility, you know, about mm -hmm. anything. It, it, it didn't, to me, mentioning your name in that whole situation is sort of, it's almost admitting or acknowledging that there was a human being on the other side of the interview, like a person. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. it wasn't like a, a thing that kind of was getting volleyed back and forth, that there was a person there and that the the way that you and look, I'm not. And by the way, I, I just think it's hard to try to pick up on someone's tone. I think that's a hard, you know, that's not empirical evidence. That's, I mean, for me, that's hard to know, because I think didn't Chris talk about all the shame he felt from it all? So I, I don't know. I can, I can understand feeling that way, but I don't know if that like holds true like true like okay maybe he could have been more humble but i mean he did two podcasts talking about it no <laughs> anyway trying to act like i'm some great moral guy yeah but what i'm saying is in this in this situation it seemed like the thing that he didn't get then is kind of still a thing that he seemingly doesn't get now and and i i get that but he was talking around it well but also okay so van i, lo I, lo I love the opinion here says Van says he shouldn't have been fired. And so and I guess that's, and again, not, not to read into what Van's saying, but so Van, I, I would assume, believes that the response to the Chris Harrison issue was overblown by the producers firing him. So if he believes that, if he believes it's overblown, shouldn't he also believe that Chris Harrison feels it was unjust? So something can be unjust, as in the wrecking ball went too far and passed his intended target. It can be unjust, but also like, Chris Harrison still did something wrong. We just don't have an exact playbook for the severity of the crimes when it comes to public outcry over over so, like a, like an issue like this. It his it, it wasn't fucking enough for me. It wasn't fucking. I said what I said, right? And it wasn't. Look, I'm sorry. I get all of these things. 
I understand all of this. It- but he did that through a written post. You know what I mean? So uh, to the Good Morning America interview, like he's like, I, underst- I understand. I, I actually kind of agree. I think if you're going to go on different mediums like a written post on Instagram, a Good Morning America interview, and a podcast. My thought with that is just re-apologize, restate all the things so that you can't be taken on one medium versus another and say, well, he didn't, he, he wasn't humble enough here. Was he humble enough when he was begging for his job? Do you know what I mean? It wasn't any of that. It was that sort of putrid middle that really doesn't move anything anywhere. And if he kind of had that, uh, if he had that attitude at all with them when they were trying to kind of get their show back together and get their universe back together, I could see why somebody might be like, well, this fucking guy, I'll never get it. Move on and let him mm-hmm. go and go with God and do whatever it was. Um, yeah. But it, it even in, in a, even a, con- I always was so curious about The Bachelor and why something that seems to be an entity that seems to be so um, dependent on human connection mm. didn't even have like the uh, they didn't have the the infrastructure or the the structure at all to just be able to have actual real conversations about this bingo bingo yes van thank you a show like The Bachelor on one of the biggest networks in the world with all the resources it has didn't have the infrastructure to have a difficult conversation. No, 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 no. They have the infrastructure. They're psychopathic. I talked to Rachel about this. They're psychopathic. They don't care about having the conversation. They care about selling advertisements and doing what they need to do on an individual basis. The different producers that still work on the show. What do we need to do to cover our own ass to make sure that Chris Harrison doesn't start spilling our secrets and also sell Dove, uh, you know, an uh, Axe Body Sport, whatever, selling commercials because that's where they make the money. There was no room for growth. It was how can we quickly end this problem and move forward? That make people, you know, feel like they're enlightened or that they're a part uh, of the discourse. It seemed to be such a mass experiment in cowardice. Oh. That they, you know what I mean? Cowardice. Cowardice because they only cared about the bottom line, which is why Rachel Kirkconnell was told not to talk about this in the first place. They said, wait for the after the final rose because they wanted to at least sell advertisements while they had these difficult conversations. What they should have is a separate podcast that has real long form conversations, not the ones they have in person, long form conversations where they can have these types of chats and further along an evolution of understanding between people that might see things differently because we all come from a different perspective with different colors skins and different socioeconomic culture and different class system. We all have a different perspective. So just because you might not know what it's like to have someone follow you around in a 7-Eleven because they think you're going to steal because of the color of your skin or you get shot at because your hoodies past a certain level, just because you and I and some other people might not know what that feels like doesn't mean that that reality doesn't exist out there. So the issue that happened in response to Chris Harrison trying to protect Rachel Kirkconnell is that he wasn't aware of the damage being done to folks like Rachel Lindsay said, who look like her. So all they needed to do was have a deep conversation, learn from it, grow from it, feel each other's growth and not uh, go to this stalemate where now we're divided and we just play to our own niche in our own echo chamber. Well, because the show was never intended to have these types of conversations. 
The show was built for a particular audience. I've said it multiple times. It was cultivated to be a certain way. People of color didn't make it past the first couple of weeks. They didn't have them as leads. They didn't have these real life conversations. Um, It was a fantasy world. And that's that's what it was. You ate a certain way. You traveled a certain way. You spoke about this a certain way. This week, you do this. It, it, we always used to call it a social experiment when we were on the show. But I think to your point about humility, there's, I can't remember if he says this in part one or part two, but he talks about losing himself in all of it, right? Of what people were asking him to do about having a crisis manager And he talks about losing himself and he did something with his telling his brother to take a post down where he felt like that wasn't him. And he kind of, he was lost himself. And that's when he hit a wall and was like, I got to take control of this. And to me, that's when he unfollowed me. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't say this, but I mean, that was the line in the sand. And I think that's the term he uses. He unfollowed me, he unfollowed Brian. He changed his entire social media. And every step forward was in a different direction. And so to me, I feel like that humility was everything prior to that. It made, when he talked about losing himself, it made it seem like he didn't want to do certain things that he was doing. He was doing it to retain his job or to get back. um, Well, the one thing that they're not discussing here is the fact that Chris Harrison doesn't go on these shows and defend. He does it because he's working for the company. He does it because he's the spokesperson. This is like this is like firing Donald Trump's press secretary because you don't like the policies that Donald Trump has. That's exactly what it is. Now, the press secretary might suck and they might say things the wrong way, but we understand they're just speaking for someone else. Chris Harrison sucked in the way he handled it, but he's speaking for the greater problem. And here we are with our arrows pointed at Chris Harrison and the real crimes that are being committed by, you know, by just like sort of like not evolving and not having these difficult conversations are happening right over here with the production team. Good favor with the public. So I feel like the direction that he's taken now is him putting drawing a line in the sand. This is me. This is how I'm going to be. And I'm going to continue to move in this way. So I love their opinions on it. And I don't necessarily disagree. I'm just trying to look at it from like, well, well, maybe, but also we can't say, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, like, like Van said, you can't say that he was fired uh, when he shouldn't have been, but then understand why he's not as humble as you want him to be. Do you know what I mean? So that's where the conversation becomes tough. My personal, I would love if Van and Rachel just sent a tweet. Hey, Chris Harrison, we'd love to have you on the show. Publicize that, get it out there, get him on your show and just clear the schedule and figure it all out. And I don't mean figure it all out like Chris Harrison has all these points he needs to make. Just let's hear the cross-examination. Rachel's great at these interviews. Van is as well. Van brings a lot of humor and levity into interviews and kind of like disarms people when he has the conversations with them. I think they're fantastic together. Absolutely fantastic. And I think an actual authentic conversation with Chris could at least get us uh, uh, to actually stop reading into what people are saying and really understand it. Now, look, these are heavy conversations, no doubt. It just surprises me that the the end goal isn't that that, um, unfettered unfiltered conversation leads to better understanding. You put a hundred people in a room together, 
one-on-one with enough time, I bet you 95% of those people can come to terms on so many different issues, which is why I talk a lot about social issues. You know, we got another review from someone saying, don't make everything about politics. Everything doesn't have to be about politics. Social issues don't have to be about politics. The issue of wanting everyone to have healthcare in our country because we spend more on healthcare than every other country combined, uh, sorry, not every other country combined, but every other first world country, that doesn't have... That shouldn't be a political issue. The idea that Rachel Lindsay shouldn't get death threats shouldn't be a political issue. The idea that Chris Harrison probably shouldn't have fired, gotten fired and probably should have, you know, been able to um, be put into a situation where they could have had meaningful, productive conversations. That's not a political issue. We've we've sort of conflated a lot of cultural issues with politics, like one side versus the other. And I'm just screaming from the rooftop saying it's more three dimensional than that. And I truly believe most of us can agree with that. Even if you don't know it, I really believe I can reach through to people. You know, I was listening to a podcast, Pod Save America, and it's and it's left-leaning, and they probably have a lot of the same political views I have, but they speak about the other side in such a derogatory way that it just becomes like this. You're only playing to your own audience, and as a comedian, I see that as very hacky because it's like, you need to not just play to your audience, you need to play to the audience. So... Even if the other side is completely wrong in your mind, sell them on it. Don't, you know what I mean? And I just think we've lost that idea of selling someone on something. And in this case, we have Chris Harrison who might only be playing to his audience and not having the difficult conversation. I'm going to give him a few weeks before I like maybe uh, make something for social media where I just call him out. But I really would like for for him to go on Rachel's podcast and have that difficult conversation. I mean, it's free. You know what I mean? Sure, they have the time. All right. And speaking of difficult conversations, our good friend Chad from Game of Roses is a real genius writer. And he put together this dissertation um, about The Bachelor. And I wanted to read it for you. It's 4,000 words. It's going to be the remainder of this podcast. It's long, but I tried to give my best narrator voice. I played some cinematic music in the background and you can hear what chad has to say the state of bachelor nation a new season of the bachelor is right around the corner mondays are about to transform from mundane even hated beginnings of work weeks into sacred occasions sanctified with wine and merriment at watch parties surrounded by our fellow enthusiasts it is normally a time for celebration but this year feels different The show has evolved an immense amount since its debut in March of 2002, but the past two years have produced the most drastic changes over the shortest period of time the franchise has ever seen. And these changes have not been good. The production restrictions caused by COVID-19 coupled with a producer culture that seems to have open contempt for everyone on the show, leads including, has left The Bachelor in a place we've never really seen as an audience. The goal of constructing a satisfying love story with a few villains thrown in for our entertainment has been traded in for a no-holds-barred Squid Game-style festival of suffering from which only official Bachelor Nation podcast hosts seem to be immune. Drama has been replaced by misery, and instead of escaping our own lives for two hours on a Monday night, we find ourselves rooting for contestants to find their own escape from the tortuous circumstances designed by the producers. Our guilty pleasure has become more guilt than pleasure. 
To understand why the upcoming season 27 of The Bachelor is so crucial and why producers have once again cast a Bachelor that does little to fan the flames of our enthusiasm, we must first take a trip back in time to see where the train began to go off the tracks in the first place. It all began in 2014 when the first villain Bachelor would set off a cascade of events and decisions that led us to where we are today. The first villain Bachelor... For the first time in season 18, after Juan Pablo uh, had contentious interactions with Andy Dorfman and Claire Crowley, producers decided to present The Bachelor as a villain in the edit itself. Bachelor producers use a wide variety of editing techniques to exacerbate or even create from thin air behavior, dialogue, and circumstances to further whatever narratives they deem necessary for good TV. And before season 18, the producers had never turned these techniques on a lead in order to make them look worse. But once that sacred pact to protect the lead at all costs and present them as the ultimate catch was broken, it became commonplace. Season 19's Bachelor Chris Souls was presented as a bumpkin. Season 20's Ben Higgins was convinced to tell two contestants he loved them in what was presented as the ultimate act of betrayal. Season 21's Nick Vile was already a villain in two prior seasons of The Bachelorette. Bachelorette season 12's Caitlin Bristow was maligned for having sex before fantasy suites. It's widely believed producers purposely cast a contestant with racist social media posts in Lee Garrett to court the first black Bachelorette in season 13's Rachel Lindsay. And the list goes on and on. The rise of Instagram. Then in May 2014, Andy Dorfman's season 10 of The Bachelorette catapulted her to become one of, the, one of the first influencers from the franchise when she had a million Instagram followers and began selling sponsored content. This new ability for a lead to make money from the fame they cultivated by appearing on the show might have possibly exacerbated the growing disdain that producers were seemingly starting to feel for leads. Their time on the show wasn't the most important thing for them anymore. It was what came after. Selling SponCon, writing a book, building a brand, getting paid. And so the producers lost a little more control not only of the contestants and leads themselves but of the overall narrative and underlying deceit of the show that it only exists to help the lead find their soulmate bachelor in paradise and then immediately on the heels of Dorfman's season 10, the first season of Bachelor in Paradise aired in August of 2014. While season one of Bachelor in Paradise didn't produce any lasting relationships, for the first time it forged a path in the franchise for non-leads to have a second chance at enough screen time to build social media followings that allowed them to start careers as influencers right alongside the leads. So the secondary goal of getting invited to Paradise became a prize as valuable as being named Bachelor or Bachelorette, and the notion that anyone who participated in the show for the right reasons became much harder for anyone to believe. As the years have passed, the producers seem to have taken a more active stance against social media that ranges from ignoring its existence and effect on the show to punishing contestants for even mentioning it. And their techniques for vilifying both leads and contestants have evolved from simple editing techniques to outright sabotage with the express goal of undermining the, undermining the very relationships the show is supposed to be supporting. This came to a head during Bachelor Season 23 in what is perhaps the most defining moment of the pre-COVID era of the franchise, Colton Underwood's fence jump the fence jump the year before in season 22 of the bachelor the producers attempted to derail ari's relationship with becca kufrin by flying her ex-boyfriend ross to ika peru where he was convinced 
to have conversations with both Kufrin and Ari in an effort to win Becca Kufrin back the morning after her successful fantasy suite date. Then in season 23, the producers elevated this tactic by flying Cassie Randolph's father to Portugal, where he successfully convinced Randolph to end things with Underwood before the night portion of their fantasy suite date. Underwood was so devastated that he stormed out of his room, hit a camera, jumped a fence, and jogged off into the night. A literal escape from the producers' manipulations. This fence jump moment was featured in virtually every promotional package for the show that season, and it was perhaps the crowning achievement of Elon Gale, who was the lead creative producer during this era. Season 23 was also his last season with the franchise, capping a 10-year run in which he was largely credited as the architect of not only Bachelor in Paradise, but the golden era of the show as well. It seems that Gale's departure likely created something of a power vacuum that led to other producers trying to step in and reproduce the magic moment of the fence jump. But without Gale's creative guidance, their confusion of drama for misery saw their efforts step over the line of plausibility to expose what was obvious producer manipulation with seemingly malicious intent. This was perhaps most apparent in the very next season of The Bachelorette when after Hannah Brown assertively dismissed Luke Parker on the basis of his misogynistic traditional Christian stance on abstinence in premarital sex, producers brought him back for the next rose ceremony and gave him a ring that they hoped he would use to propose. Hannah Brown's handling of the moment became an iconic rebuke of both Parker and the producer's attempt to derail the fantasy suite round of her season. Then on the day immediately after Hannah Brown's season 15 of The Bachelor concluded, another piece of the puzzle that is the current state of Bachelor Nation came into place. On July 31st, 2019, the podcast Bachelor Happy Hour hosted by former Bachelorettes Ali Fedakowski and Rachel Lindsay premiered. The first episode was a recap of the finale of Hannah Brown's season, and the next two episodes would feature interviews with Jed Wyatt, that season's disgraced ring winner, and with Hannah Brown herself. Official Bachelor Nation Podcasts. Bachelor Happy Hour, which is owned by Warner Brothers, the same company that owns the Bachelor franchise, served as a means by which the producers could extend the narratives in the show, both false and true. It allowed another level of control about who the audience should consider a villain or a hero, who was deserving of love and who was not, who should be celebrated and who should be maligned. It also served as a platform to mitigate controversy in the nation or as a way to test the likability of any contestants who might have been in the conversation to be the next leads. Furthermore, with the immediate success of the first official Bachelor podcast, Happy Hour created yet another revenue stream for the franchise and its parent company. The official Bachelor Nation podcast formula was honed over the next series of months as Ali and Lindsay interviewed a rotating cast of all-star contestants who were central to the narratives of Bachelor in Paradise Season 6 as it aired. The show managed to give true fans an extended experience without ever revealing too much about what goes on behind the scenes, especially where producer manipulation was concerned. Once Peter Weber's Bachelor Season 24 aired in January of 2020, Bachelor Happy Hour had established itself as a successful as a success for Warner Brothers and an integral part of the culture of Bachelor Nation, ready to continue building its listenership over the course of Claire Crowley's upcoming Bachelor at Season 16. But that season, along with everything else across the globe, was postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, which had a drastic effect on virtually every aspect of not just the season, but the entire franchise and the nation itself. The pandemic. 
The first and most obvious effect was that without Crowley's season airing in May of 2020, as it was previously scheduled, we became starved for Bachelor content. Bachelor Happy Hour's popularity increased during the pandemic as the only official Bachelor franchise media we could still get on a weekly basis. In the short-lived, The Bachelor presents Listen to Your Heart, which aired April to May of 2020, did little to satisfy the nation, so we turned to social media for every Instagram Live and ultimately every TikTok we could find from Bachelor contestants, leads, and even commentators. And it turned out we weren't the only ones. Bachelorette season 16. The second cataclysmic effect of the pandemic was the fracturing of Bachelorette season 16 because of social media. The contestant roster for that season had been revealed online before shooting was postponed, which gave Crowley the opportunity to engage in parasocial relationships with her incoming suitors. In a night one of her season, when it did finally air in October of 2020, the moment she saw contestant Dale Moss step out of the limo, it became clear to all of us that she had fallen in love with him online and he was already the winner of her season, rendering the rest of it a pointless show. By episode four, Crowley left the show with Moss, prompting the producers to bring in Tasha Adams to date Crowley's leftover pool of men and salvage what was left of a season plagued by consistent temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit and abysmal production value. This event very likely made two things clear to the producers. Number one, social media had the ability to destroy the format of the show. And two, despite COVID production restrictions forcing them to shoot an entire season with no travel, locked down, and separated from the outside world, holding contestants in their rooms like prisoners until they were needed to shoot a scene, they still didn't have as much control as they thought they did or as much as they wanted. And the final result of Bachelorette Season 16 seemed to be that producers were sent into a panic as they thought of new ways to control the contestants and punish them for for their use of social media, which set the stage for what most Bachelor fans would come to consider the worst year in the history of the franchise, 2021. 2021. 2021 kicked off with what should have been a celebrated moment. Matt James was cast as the first Black Bachelor in the 20-year history of the show. Instead, after a season that was already laden with transparently malicious producing practices like sending in a group of new contestants halfway through, the worst racism scandal in Bachelor history overshadowed the entire season and resulted in the firing and excommunication of longtime host Chris Harrison. In what seemed like an attempt to bury the fallout from Bachelor Season 25 under a landslide of content, 2021 continued with the decision to produce not one, but two seasons of The Bachelorette, Katie Thurston's Season 17 and Michelle Young's Season 18, along with a new season of Bachelor in Paradise. This relentless schedule guaranteed that most of the audience would be exhausted, if not completely burnt out, by the sheer amount of content, let alone the continued presentation of leads suffering trauma and despair at the hands of the producers, instead of finding love prompting them to attempt an escape just as Colton Underwood did when he jumped the fence in Bachelor season 23. Podcast hosts in paradise. 2021's Bachelor in Paradise Season 7, airing between the two Bachelorette seasons, showed us just how important the official Bachelor Nation podcast hosts were to the franchise. Three of them were cast in this season, allowing them to serve double duty as on-camera talent and then as podcast commentators on their own performances as they aired. And even within the production itself, Joe and Natasha from Clickbait, as well as Becca from Happy Hour, were given very special treatment during the production itself. Producers granted Becca Kufrin an access to a computer and the internet, which allowed her the ability to find information on some of the contestants, including Thomas Jacobs, to whom she is now engaged. Grocery store Joe was given the role of moral leader of the beach, doing the producer's bidding when they wanted to kick other uncooperative players off the show. And producers literally broke the structure of the format to give Natasha Parker a rose when no male player would give her one to guarantee her more screen time. And none of them were ever given anything approaching a bad edit. They were protected at all costs. The same can't be said for Brendan Moraes and Piper James. 
Social media punishment. It seems very likely that after the proliferation of influencer culture within the contestant pool over the years and the damage social media did in Bachelor Season 16, the producers were fixated on punishing contestants and making examples of anyone who so much as discussed social media and its role in the show's culture. So when Brendan Moraes and Parker James... Um, were caught on camera discussing their Instagram Piper, excuse me, Piper James were caught on camera discussing their Instagram numbers. And Brandon had already earned a villain edit for his treatment of official Bachelor Nation podcast host Natasha Parker. The producers sent in grocery store Joe to confront them and ultimately deliver a performance that was meant to convey to the audience he had the power to remove them from the show. In the days that followed, Brandon Moraes lost over 100,000 Instagram followers and multiple deals with brands. Despite Michelle Young's season 18 of Bachelor being fairly well produced and ending in a successful engagement to Nate, the sense that Bachelor in Paradise season 7 was fixed from the beginning was hard to shake. And if there was any hope left in the nation that the producers were going to turn things around and return the franchise to its former glory, the announcement of Michelle Young's 8th place finisher Clayton Eckerd as the next Bachelor dashed it. Eckerd wasn't given much screen time and as a result he seemed like ju- just like another white guy who didn't know enough about the show to know what the producers were going to put him through. And even before his season aired in January of 2022, it was clear the producers were going to put him through a lot. Clayton Eckerd, doomed from the beginning. Several recent Bachelors have been introduced in the final segment of the prior season of The Bachelorette. Many of them have been given the opportunity to meet some of the contestants who will be appearing on their season in a kind of mini night one. Clayton Eckerd was made to do something else, something we had never seen. He was made to sit and read tweets from a screen in the live studio audience. Every one of the tweets was insulting and cruel. It was as if the producers were telling us, the audience, that they knew we didn't like their choice for Bachelor and neither did they. This level of disrespect for the lead of their flagship show was a new low, and the season that followed was exactly what we expected after an introduction like that. Eckerd seemed unprepared for the manipulations he encountered as he was maneuvered into a situation that the producers themselves termed the Rose Ceremony from Hell, in which he was convinced that he should tell both of his finalists that he was intimate with them as well as a third contestant. This resulted in the producers cutting Eckerd into one of the worst villain bachelors of all time, causing him to experience significant mental health issues which he has discussed publicly. But his trauma would end with his season. The producers would continue to paint him as a villain even in the next season of The Bachelorette, go so far as to script a limo exit for one of the incoming players that included a choir of children singing Clayton Sucks. But that was only the tip of the iceberg for what would be another disaster in Bachelorette Season 19, which for the first time in America featured two simultaneous Bachelorettes. Dual Bachelorettes. The two victims in the rose ceremony uh, from uh, the two victims in the rose ceremony from held narrative, Gabby Windy and Rachel Recchia, were granted the dual bachelorette's role, and the nation was skeptical. Despite both leads assuming everyone in every interview that they were friends and there was no comp- competition between them, we knew better as an audience. Although they got roughly the same amount of screen time over the course of the season, they did not get the same edit. Rachel Recchia was at times presented as villainous, while Wendy was presented as a lovable dingbat, just looking for the right man to try- truly understand her. As a result, Wendy amassed over 1 million Instagram followers to Recchia's 540,000, and Gabby Wendy was given a spot on Dancing with the Stars, Rachel Recchia was not. And beyond the inherent competition that we all knew was in the DNA of the decision to have dual leads, the season itself suffered from only being able to give the men in the Bachelorettes half the screen time they would have had in a normal season. So we didn't really get a chance to know any of them in a substantive way, and by the end of a season that saw Rachel Recchia alone and Gabby Wendy's final rose recipient, Eric Schwer, embroiled in 
yet another racism scandal, we were left wondering if the people who made the show actually knew what it was anymore or if they uh, even enjoyed the job at all. It seemed that every decision being made was actively making everything worse. But, in 20, but 2022 wasn't over. We still had promise. The fun in the sun, not so serious version of The Bachelor that results in more successful relationships than The Bachelor and Bachelorette combined and delivers some much needed humor and goofiness. Misery in paradise. But the laughter in Bachelor in Paradise Season 8 was replaced with tears. Lots of tears. Lots and lots of tears. More tears than we might have ever seen in a single season of any of the franchise show. In what seemed like an attempt to shake up the format of Paradise, the producers decided to steal the Casa Amor mechanic from Love Island and separate the successful couples halfway through the season. The party line was that this rending of early romance would make couples who would survive what they call split week even stronger. Instead, it drove all the contestants involved into depressed states that left them uh, listless and resentful. But not all players were subjected to this treatment. Despite the fact that there were no official Bachelor Nation podcast hosts in this season, there were still protected contestants, most notably Michael A. Michael was left without a rose in an early rose ceremony, but because it seemed that producers had designed a season-long narrative for him, they inserted Danielle at the necessary time to give him a rose to keep his story alive, and astonishingly, Daniel and Michael were exempt from split week. If this clear violation of fairness wasn't enough to drive the nation mad, seeing producers write and act out sketches that cruelly made fun of Sally Carson with the use of sex toy props and hair pieces did the trick. It seemed that if a contestant wouldn't do as they were told or in any way cause more work for producers, they were turned into fools or villains in the edit and even in the construction of the season itself. Teddy Wright, a first impression Rose recipient, recipient a, and very well-liked player, had such a seemingly bad experience that she issued a silent protest by leaving the show without saying goodbye to anyone so the producers couldn't get any more footage of her. And although this season produced a lasting relationship for Brandon Jones and Serene Russell, it will most likely be best be remembered for the group nervous breakdown that occurred when Roddy Matthews left the beach. The contestants had undergone such an immense amount of sleep deprivation and other traumas that they all saw with one another for what was presented as the better part of an entire day. The only comfort they seemed to be able to find was in their collective misery, and it's no surprise that we, the audience, felt the same way as another cycle of the franchise we love so much came to a close. Where are we now? And so now the disasters of the past two years are behind us and we are in the pre pre uh, precipice of Bachelor Season 27 with another Bachelor who didn't get enough screen time for us to really know anything about. We know he made it to the Fantasy Suite round with Rachel Recchia and the very next morning she wanted nothing to do with him. Her cited reasons was an age difference, although they were less than a year apart. Many have speculated that Zach Shellcross might have revealed a difference of political opinion in the Fantasy Suite, but we may never know the truth. As we are set to watch night one of January 23rd, there are no indications that the producers are aware of the problem. They have done little to generate excitement in the fan base with their select selection of Zach Shellcross aside from the inclusion of the most successful Bachelor of all time, season 17's Sean Lowe, in some early promotional footage. But simply hearkening back to the golden era when leads were presented as successful, eligible, and remarkable people will likely not be enough to remedy the excess of longtime fans that's taken place over the past two years years. As much as we enjoy seeing Sean Lowe scrubbing Zach Shellcross's abs in the shower, it will take more than that to convince us that the franchise is back on track. And ladies and gentlemen, with an expert uh, uh, point of view, uh, Chad from Game of Roses. All right, that's it for me today. I have a new video I'm uploading right now. So by the time you listen to this, it'll probably be up. It's it's a it's a video about Tesla and it's on the Dave Neal Show. I'm going to post a link in the comment section below, but you can go to linktree.com slash Dave Neal if you want to check that out. I really hope you can watch it. It's a little bit of a different
different type of video, a little bit more produced. And I, um, I don't know, it's, it, I'm trying new things, folks. I'm trying new things and I'm uh, trying to grow a little bit as a creator uh, out there in, in the world. And I hope you can appreciate that. So that's going to be a new video about Tesla and how you could, how you could possibly afford to buy one for as little as $214 a month. I know it's a crazy video. I'm not here to promote the company, but you can go check it out and uh, hear my thoughts and opinions on the matter. Also, tickets are going. We've only got, I think, about a dozen uh, VIP seats left for my San Diego show, February 15th in San Diego with Katie Thurston. There's probably a 70% of the tickets are sold. So there's tickets, but by all means, get on that sooner than later. You're going to want to come and we will talk to you all later. Hey, I've been Dave Neal. We'll see you on hump day tomorrow, this Bachelor Rush Hour.